Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are wrapping up our series on the Hogwarts houses, and this week we are focused on Gryffindor! And our two ex-Gryffindor panelists, me and Eric, will lead today's discussion as we celebrate and criticize the house. And we are also joined by a current Gryffindor, my boyfriend, Pat. Welcome back to the show, Pat. I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) Pat's a huge Harry Potter fan who knows his stuff, so I'm sure he's going to add a lot to the show today like he did last time he was on. But before we get started, make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and look out for a new episode every Tuesday morning. Also, stay tuned to our Patreon this week for an all new bonus MuggleCast installment in which we look at HBO Max's new Harry Potter hub. Because in this, they make movie and TV suggestions for members of each Hogwarts house. So we're going to look at their lists and determine if they made the right choices. And some choices in there, I think, are very debatable. So that's why I wanted to make this a bonus MuggleCast today. For example, is Gossip Girl really for Slytherins? Yes. This Slytherin (laughs) won't be watching it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) That'll be available at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Okay, so let's get to our discussion on Gryffindor House today. To kick off this discussion, I thought we could start with why myself, Eric, and Pat all joined Gryffindor initially. So just to catch everybody up in case you missed it, I'm currently Slytherin. Eric's currently a Hufflepuff. Pat's been a Raven, uh, a Gryffindor, excuse me, all this time. I already explained why I left Gryffindor for for Slytherin, but I feel like I joined Gryffindor when I was a kid simply because it was the house that the trio were in. That was basically it. You know, I just want to be with the trio. And then Pottermore validated my fi- my feelings when uh, I did the quiz and I got sorted into Gryffindor. I was like, great. Okay, cool. I don't have to think about it any further. How about you, Eric? Yeah, same. I mean, more or less, if you wanted to do any kind of costuming. The Harry Potter costume that was available was a Gryffindor costume. And if you wanted a house tie, the Gryffindor house tie was just like the most available that you could find. And I, you know, I had no delusions when I did start dressing up as a Gryffindor, when I got the Gryffindor robes that I got and still have from Twin Roses designs, I didn't pretend to be Harry Potter, but I very much felt very comfortable being one of the Gryffindors. They're the heroes of the books. They're the the series heroes. And, you know, I felt really that I would be Harry's friend if we were together at the same time. I just felt like Gryffindor was a natural fit and I didn't question it. And Pat, why did you join originally? Well, I think for me originally, like when I started reading the books, because I did read them like in 98 when they came out in the US. And at that time, I was kind of like the shyest kid ever. Like I would have to go talk in front of people and immediately start crying. What? So, oh gosh. Oh yeah, I was so painfully shy, and I like really wanted to break out of that. So I think like I just wanted to kind of like be like Harry in a way because I related in a lot of ways of kind of feeling like left out, especially with like being gay. So I think subconsciously like now looking at it i'm like oh yeah i kind of made that decision but back then you're not mature enough to make a decision to be like yes i am going to change or like digging in yourself and letting those 
parts of me that were like Gryffindor-esque like actually come out and like just grow as a person that way. So I kind of like unlocked those over the years to become like where I am now. Yeah, that that kind of speaks to what I said last week about Hermione kind of valuing bravery, even though she herself, we thought, fit more into Ravenclaw. It, it seems like, again, it is about what you value and what traits you most wish to embody. Yeah, I see that for sure. And it like at the time, I think I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm a Hufflepuff, <laughs> especially like now I realize too, like in my job that I'm working in now, I'm very much use that like Gryffindor side of me to like stand up for myself and really be like, no, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to listen to me at this moment. <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Just browbeating people with, with your job. You're like, I am yes, here. Basically. <laughs> Little did you know, I'm a Gryffindor. Hear me roar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually kind of touches on. So why I left Gryffindor, why I'm now a proud member of the Hufflepuff uh, family is I was looking to set uh, down some of the traits that I felt were more negative to me. I, um, you know, reached a point in early 20s where I decided I, I really kind of had to make a concentrated effort to think before I act on a lot of things. And I felt like some of the boldness and some of the fly by the seat of life's and adventure stuff that I really enjoyed in, in the teenage years and really kind of propelled me in my relationships that I needed to take a step back and start really thinking about what I want and who I am. And, and so a lot of that brashness, a lot of that teenage energy and spirit kind of flew out of me. And, and when I read the Hufflepuff welcome letter, it felt like there's a, a house that really values kind of interpersonal communication more. And, and, and so it just kind of, it wasn't a re rebuke of Gryffindor, but it was very much like this served a place in my life when I was like bolder. And now I'm going to actually work on building and not always going and getting and going and having that mentality. Yeah. It sounds like for both sense. of you, your house alignments were a way for you to step outside of your comfort zones in a way. Yeah, for sure. Especially for me, just really kind of like embracing like the leadership qualities in me as well. Because I was such just so I don't want to say meek because that's a I don't like that word. But like I was just very, very mm. shy and quiet until really I got to maybe the end of middle school into high school. And then the other stuff like the other clubs that I was in and stuff like that really pushed me to be a leader for one and then just to get out of my comfort zone. And that's when I found theater and like all of that, like acting stuff too, to really like be on stage where I probably would have like pooped myself if I was in middle school and needed to do that. <laughs> hey, fellow theater kid. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, that's all about you. Get, it's a cutthroat kind of thing. If you're fighting for a role or even just to, to go and do that takes a lot of energy and confidence. And with confidence in high school, you got to fake it till you make it, baby. Yeah. And I think Gryffindor is a very good house about faking it till you make it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and Pat, you so, could have just used Evanesco. You would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So quick question. Do we think many readers or fans who were or are in Gryffindor only there because the trio, like me, guilty as charged, or maybe because Dumbledore is a Gryffindor too? I just feel like most people selected Gryffindor simply because the trio are in it, and then they just stuck with it. 
I feel like there's probably a huge swath of people that don't think about it. There's probably a huge bunch of listeners that are like, I don't even know what house I am and it's cool. Or fans of Harry Potter at the very least. Maybe not listeners of our show because on our show you have to choose. You know that. Um, but no, the episodes that we've done, like the last few episodes on houses, I feel like have gone really into details of what makes uh, a house. But we had to fight for that. We had to work for figuring out those details. Gryffindor is the one house in, in all of Harry Potter that really you get to see just a huge variety of people in it. And yeah. the rest of the houses, like I said, we had to work for. So I wouldn't be surprised if, even if you do think about what house you are, that most people find themselves in Gryffindor just because it is the most fleshed out. It's kind of yeah. like the default, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say too, I don't think I thought much about what house I would be in until I finished the books. It's a good way to do and it. Maybe that's why I ended up in Ravenclaw. But I just think that when you're reading the story, I think you're just taken by the story. And maybe it was also mm. because so many things came out after the books were released, including being able to be sorted. I don't really know that I did too much sorting of myself beforehand. So, uh, but I agree to Laura, your point. It's kind of a default. Or you, or you probably would want to choose Slytherin. I feel like those were probably the two most popular choices just because we don't see much of the other two houses. Yeah, and yeah. there was a time yeah. even to the point that was raised earlier, it is correct that originally the only house merch you could get was Gryffindor. But when they started releasing more, they released Slytherin items. But for the longest time, you couldn't get Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw. So it was kind of like these two rivals kind of felt like they were your only two prominent choices. They're the real houses. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even if you're Gryffindor because it's the default, there was enough variety of characters in the books to be like, yeah. oh, I'm a Hermione Gryffindor or oh, I'm like the Weasley twins Gryffindor. Yeah. Th there was, you could identify with a different Gryffindor and have that really speak to your individual traits without having to change houses. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people when they were buying the cloaks or anything else with a Gryffindor emblem on it, I think they... They just wanted to be a Hogwarts student. It wasn't necessarily yeah. about the house so much as it was looking like a Hogwarts student. Yeah. But they really lean into the house merchandise now. Now you can easily get anything. <laughs> like I go into, we've mentioned before, Box Lunch. It's a hot topic, but less emo. And um, <laughs> you can buy a shirt for each house. You can buy a scarf for each house. Like, you know, they got them all. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what we know about Gryffindors. And like we have with our other... House episodes. We'll start with the sorting hat lines about Gryffindor. The hat says in one book, while the bravest and the boldest went to daring Gryffindor. And in another book, the hat says, you might belong in Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring, nerve, and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. I believe the second one was book one. Yes. Mm. Brave and daring go make it in both books. That's like, ah, uh, do you dare? I dare. They're That's double brave. Good. So these are all traits that we admire, and I don't think there's anything here that we look down on. And the no. And the reason I mention that is because last week we discussed how some narration and sorting hat descriptions of Ravenclaw don't do its members any favors. Mm. Setting aside talk from outside Hogwarts students, like, you know, in other houses or professors, is there anything from the hat or the narration that you all remember reading over the years that maybe you thought put Gryffindor in a bad light? Not really. Yeah. 
I don't either. No, but I think it, it's also because we're reading these books from Harry's point of view, right? And he kind of has the tone mm-hmm. set very early on. He knows that Ron, the first nice person he meets on the Hogwarts Express, wants to be in Gryffindor and is terrified of not ending up there. So I think Harry, by default, kind of romanticizes Gryffindor a little bit. He certainly doesn't want to end up in Slytherin, right? After he's met Draco Malfoy. (laughs) Malfoy has completely tainted that house's perception for him. But yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, viewpoint of the character we're seeing that house through. Yeah, I feel like the only time something negative about Gryffindor is said is any time that Draco says something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or if it's specific Gryffindors when Snape says it, right? Yeah. Um, usually about Harry's dad. And we have a quote from Phineas, too, that we'll get to in a moment. Oh. I wanted to ask, though, do you feel like this description from the Sorting Hat is the most aspirational of any of the houses? Because I feel like you're talking about, at this point, 11-year-old kids. And <laughs> to have daring and chivalry and bravery, to me, not to say that there aren't brave 11-year-olds, but I do think perhaps this is the most forward-looking of any of the house descriptions that we see. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's very fair. If I were 11 and I just found out that I'm a wizard and can do magic, uh I would want to be like the boldest and bravest and 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 chivalry like I had to look that up, but it's the combination of qualities expected of an ideal knight especially courage, honor, courtesy, justice, and a readiness to help the weak. I'd be like, I just got all these magical powers. Yeah, I'm going to help the suffering. I'm going to I'm gonna kick some ass. It's going to be great. <laughs> I think that's a great point about it being aspirational yeah. verbiage. Yeah. I think- At the least, I love the point that when you're that young, you're not necessarily going to be brave or courageous. You know, you're, Unless you're, you're Harry. Sh- <laughs> right, right. Harry's a very special exception. Way. I feel like this is also the descriptor that is probably the least nuanced of all four houses. I mean, we could very easily with the other three houses pick out items and qualities that are represented in the sorting song that could be interpreted a certain kind of way, but you don't get that so much here. It's really hard to read anything potentially negative into this. The way that it's written. Well, on that note, let's talk about the good of Gryffindor. And we have a couple traits here. Conviction. Now, Pat, you wrote these out, so maybe we should let you do this. Tell us about conviction in Gryffindors. I do think that like, when it comes to conviction, most Gryffindors really have a strong sense of what they believe. And they stick to that kind of until you're proven wrong, which I'm very much that way. Like when I speak, I very much kind of like use that authority in my voice. Mm. And a lot of people just kind of believe what I say then. Um, (laughs) Not me. I don't fall for it. (laughs) (laughs) But like sometimes it's just like if you say something in a way where like you believe it yourself, others are also going to believe it. And I think that that's something that a lot of Gryffindors use because they are so strong headed, which can also be a negative trait. Um, because you really have to be proven wrong for you to change your mind um, uh, and have like facts come out just to be like, OK, yeah, like I think a good example of that is, is like 
when Seamus is very much like against Harry until he realizes, okay, nope, I'm wrong here. And he immediately apologizes. And I think that happens in a lot of other areas too. Like I have this example later, but I think it applies to to conviction as well, where like Ron is so mad when Harry gets in into the Triwizard Tournament and he will not speak to him or anything until he realizes like, oh, you would never have put yourself up for this. Okay, I'm wrong here, which I, I is my next point in here that Gryffindors will usually admit fault right away once they are proven wrong, which I to me, I think is a good quality. And also like yeah. relating to myself, that's something I do too. Like, especially in my work, if I screw up on something, I am the first to admit, hey, I did this wrong. How can I fix it? Or what can I do better next time to make sure that it doesn't happen again? I think the task of proving a Gryffindor wrong or showing a Gryffindor that they are wrong can be an uphill struggle sometimes. I myself am a Taurus. It's really difficult to convince me I've erred uh, even since my switch to Hufflepuff. (laughs) And so I think like I think of like Lily Potter having to like soften James, but he was a straight up bully for Snape for many, many years and his friends especially serious. And so while they could admit that they were wrong, I don't think those particular characters ever do. And so it is, it is a show that when they have their morals, they kind of are on that path and it can be a bit difficult to sway them a different direction. Yeah. I mean, look even at the conflict between Ron and Hermione and prisoner of Azkaban over Crookshanks and Scabbers. I mean, it's pretty clear when you're reading the book that Kirkshanks has it out for scabbers. We later learn that there's a very good reason for that, but Hermione just doesn't want to see it. Mm-hmm. And in the same book too, when both Harry and Ron are like mad at Hermione for turning mm-hmm. in the firebolt. Yeah. Mm. Oh, great oh, example. Yeah. And we're, But Hermione like sticks to her guns on it where she's like, no, this needs to be looked at. And once she's like, once they do all the tests and everything, she's like, well, there you go. At least you know it's safe. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. apologize in that right. instance. She's just like... <laughs> but she was right. I mean, well... <laughs> she was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was right in that the the broomstick did come from Sirius Black. Yeah. She, but she was wrong on the fact that it was cursed. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's something bad to it. Yeah. 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 She ends up being right again in Half-Blood Prince about... Uh, the origins of the Half-Blood Prince's name, right? And she's trying to explain it to Harry throughout the book, and he's not willing to accept it. And then at the very end, she's like, yeah, see about that. I was pretty close. Listen, (laughs) women cannot be princes, Laura. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. It cannot happen. It's not a thing. (laughs) 2021. That's all I'll say. And then the third trait we have here is loyalty. Yeah, I do. Th- I think Gryffindors are very loyal people, which is in part of, you know, the whole description of being a Gryffindor. Um, but I think like a very good example of this is with the Marauders. And when they do finally realize like that Remus is a werewolf and they just stick by his side the entire time. And yeah, for those first few years until they become like full anime guy or however you say it, they still stick by him. And then once they figure it out and they're able to go along with him, then they go on all the adventures with him and just really like defend him 
to everybody else when everybody's trying to question and figure out what's going on. And yeah, they pulled a prank on on um, Snape where he almost gets killed, but <laughs> they're loyal to him still, like throughout the whole thing. And yeah. especially like the trio is usually loyal to each other throughout most of the books, except for petty little arguments. Um, the only time where at least me personally, I feel like the loyalty can come as a fault is Harry to Dumbledore because he really can never see any wrong in Dumbledore, even throughout mm. reading Rita Skeeter's book about him. He questions it slightly, but he still really doesn't ever find a fault in him. And, yeah. Yeah. And if we're thinking about the Marauders not really minding or taking care of their friendships, they just expect something to be a certain way. They kind of neglect Peter Pettigrew and the, and he turns sour because of, you know, he has all these insecurities about not fitting in, but they're not minding their friendship. They're not keeping up with that. They just expect him to fall in line because Gryffindors are all part of the same cool team of knights. Um, and they also downplay the severity of almost every conflict. I think it's maybe <laughs> the Wizarding War really sobered them a lot. Yeah. But I think that up until that point. They're thinking that having a best friend who's a werewolf is nothing but the coolest thing you could ever do or have. New toy. Yeah, new toy. Well, yeah, almost. <laughs> like, I think they really appreciated Remus as a person. Yeah. But I think they also thought it was straight up awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah. once it's Remus like a... also put together, like in book three, puts together like, hey, Sirius is actually innocent. His loyalty comes back 100% immediately. You're right. Mm -hmm. And th this would also be one of those qualities, I think, that aligns very well um, with the house sigil. If you think about, you know, even talking about zodiac signs, Leos are usually characterized as being immensely loyal individuals. Uh, and then another moment of loyalty I thought about too was with Neville, but loyalty to the entire house going back to Sorcerer's Stone, right? He stands up to the trio. And I think you could define that as a moment of loyalty to Gryffindor house. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And when he gets the sword of Gryffindor out of the sorting hat at the end of book seven, like that really shows that loyalty as well there too, because he, he is a true Gryffindor like in that moment and he deserves a sword. Well, part of being a knight is having honor. He has that sense of, of real honor. There are things that you cannot do and you should not lose our house more points because it would dishonor us. Sir Longbottom. <laughs> and now let's talk about the bad the bad yeah. <laughs> now andrew's happy <laughs> no i i lift up every hogwarts house i mentioned this a few minutes ago phineas actually had a critique of gryffindor he said that other houses particularly slytherin believe that gryffindors sometimes engaged in quote pointless heroics <laughs> so a pointless heroic i guess would be something that they 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 go out of their way to do for really no good reason other than hoping people will pat them on the back. That's kind of the read of what I get from a pointless heroic. Yeah. And th there's evidence of this in in the books again with with James Potter and Snape. But there's that moment where Harry is horrified that like Sirius says he was bored and so James goes and picks a fight and is like everything's an adventure. Let's see if we can see Snivellus's underwear or whatever, and like totally antagonizes Snape in some righteous, we're the good guys, you're the creepy, nobody likes you, bad guy of school. We're going to engage in this pointless heroism of attacking you unprovoked. 
Um, absolutely. Like Phineas's uh, read on what other people think of Gryffindors, there's just evidence right there. I think that a, what some people like Phineas, since Phineas, granted, like is a Slytherin, but he could consider also helping people as a pointless heroic, like the times where Harry oh. would maybe pick up somebody's books when they fall out of their bag or something like that, or defending like Luna to somebody else, like be like, oh, she's my yes. friend. Like, would a Slytherin then consider that a pointless her- act of heroism? Yeah. Just by helping another person? Or what about Maybe. when uh, Harry went to take on Draco in book one and get Neville's remember all back, right? Like, I could mm-hmm. see a Slytherin being like, whatever, it's a remember all. Who cares? Why are you making such a big deal about this? But Harry being like, no, he's my friend. He's in my house and you're bullying mm. him. So I'm going to stand up to you. Good but point. in that yeah. same, the same moment when he agrees to go to the duel, that I think is the negative point yeah. was heroic. Like you really did not need to do that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap anyway. Right. right. Well, right. <laughs> I think you could go even larger scale. I think if you just look at the plot of all seven books, if you're Phineas, you could say pointless heroics. Sorcerer Stone, <laughs> <Yep>. pointless heroics. <laughs> Basilisk in the Chamber of Secrets, pointless heroics. Freeing Sirius Black. Pointless heroics. They like doing these things for attention, at least in Phineas's mind. And probably mm. there is a little bit of truth there because I, I feel like there is a bit of an ego to Gryffindor. Yeah. Being considered the brave house, the, the courageous house. So here's another one. And again, this person is biased as well. Snape called Gryffindor's self-righteous and arrogant. Of course, he's probably speaking about James when he's mm. talking here. Right. But here's a little bit of evidence to back this up. In the Pottermore welcome letter for the Gryffindor house, which we've cited a couple of times now across these house discussions, Percy Weasley says, this is quite simply the best house at Hogwarts. It's where the bravest and boldest end up. For instance, Albus Dumbledore. Yes, Dumbledore himself, the greatest wizard of our time, was a Gryffindor. If that's not enough for you, I don't know what is. And here's the other thing, because I looked at the other welcome letters. This is the shortest welcome letter of the four <laughs> by far. The Gryffindor welcome letter is like a paragraph. Everything else, it's pages. You got to sit down to read this. Maybe Snape's right. They are self-righteous and arrogant. We have the best house. I don't even have to convince you. I think it's also just interesting that Percy was the character that was chosen to write this yeah, welcome letter because... We know how he felt about Dumbledore towards the end of the series. Yeah. Right. So when such a kiss ass. I know. Couldn't it also be that because we get Harry's welcome letter in the book that they don't need to make this one as long? I think the length is very purposeful. They would just roll the tape of Tina Turner, simply the best. (laughs) The author isn't one to be short on details, you know. Right, She'll put fair. the work in if she needs to. So I think this just perfectly plays into Snape's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one thing that I think that's important about the fact that Snape kind of colors all Gryffindors, self-righteous and arrogant, shows an important point about how one bad experience can cause an individual to really generalize an entire group of people. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's a group of people that normally all of us would think are 
pretty good, easygoing individuals. And if you look at it through Snape's perspective, it's completely different. And it's certainly wrong of him just because, you know, particularly James and Sirius treated him so foully that he would look upon the entirety of Gryffindor House the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And I like at least that in the entirety of the story, there are like our Gryffindor heroes do get some pieces knocked off of them. Like you question Dumbledore by the end of the books. You question, um, you know, Harry, you question what everyone really means or thinks. You question James Potter. So these so-called heroes do, there is room in the books made available for you to question what they were going for and whether Snape could even be right. Yeah. We are having a great discussion today. Can't wait to continue it. But first, I want to tell you that this week's episode is sponsored by Quip, makers of all kinds of excellent products to keep your mouth healthy and clean. Let's talk about their mouthwash. We all love that clean, minty, fresh feeling you get from mouthwash. Those plastic mouthwash bottles, not so much. They're big, they're bulky, and they're not so nice to look at. Luckily, the oral care experts at Quip created an alcohol-free mouthwash that keeps your mouth healthy without the burn. And thanks to a sleek, refillable dispenser, it's pretty easy on the eyes, too. Their 4X Concentrated Mouthwash comes in a beautiful, eco-friendly refill bottle that's 100% recyclable. It's their way of helping make your mouth a little cleaner and the earth a little greener. Quip Mouthwash kills bad breath germs, helps prevent cavities, and leaves you feeling fresh. Quip's refillable mouthwash is good for your mouth and the planet. With that 4X Concentrated formula, Quip ships less water and more good-for-you ingredients. Add a mouthwash refill plan and make sure your rinse never runs out. I find all of Quip's products incredibly innovative, so I was excited to try this one out. And Pat, I know you love the mouthwash too, right? Yes, I really, really like the Quip one because even like, you know how you have like morning breath even in the morning, even with normal mouthwash? Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like legitimately cut in half with the Quip one. Oh, good. He might be trying to say something about me there. But anyway, (laughs) and if you go to getquip.com slash muggle5 right now, you can get $5 off a mouthwash starter kit. That's $5 off a mouthwash starter kit, which includes a refillable dispenser and a 90-dose supply of Quip's 4X concentrated formula at getquip.com slash muggle5, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash muggle5. Quip is the good habits company. Speaking about habits, let's talk about some bad habits, maybe? Eric, you have an interesting observation about a couple of pairs at Hogwarts. Yeah, here's an interesting personality trait that you don't find in the Hogwarts sorting song. Uh, but it uh, comes in this line from Madame Rosmerta, I believe. Um, and Laura, would you like to read this uh, quote? Sure. This is from Prisoner of Azkaban. Madame Rosmerta says, naturally, with a small laugh, never saw one without the other, did you? The number of times I had them in here. They used to make me laugh. Quite the double act, Sirius Black and James Potter. Harry dropped his tankard with a loud clunk. Ron kicked him. Precisely, said Professor McGonagall. Black and Potter, ringleaders of their little gang. Both very bright, of course. Exceptionally bright, in fact. But I don't think we've ever had such a pair of troublemakers. I don't know, chuckled Hagrid. Fred and George Weasley could give them a run for their money. So this is an interesting kind of comparison. Across the generations, you have these two groups, and both of them are two people, troublemakers. What is it that rule-breaking and mischief 
what does that have to do with being a Gryffindor, being brave? Well, well, not necessarily being brave, but I think looking at daring and nerve, those two oh. align a little bit with rule breaking and, and mischief. You have to have a little bit of nerve to be mischievous and to break the rules. Absolutely. I, th- I think it fits. Yeah. Some courage yeah. too. I think yeah. particularly well. with um, James and Sirius, we're seeing the negative side of bravery and nerve. Like if you're viewing those things as a spectrum, as we've discussed in previous discussions like this, and you toggle it all the way over to one extreme end, the results are not going to be great. But I like Mm -hmm. comparing them to Fred and George, because I think even though Fred and George are very mischievous, they're uh, troublemakers, they're still pretty different from James and Sirius. Fred and George don't strike me as bullies. In fact, I remember, I don't, I can't remember the book, but I remember one line where they're having a fun back and forth and they're saying, we always knew where the line was. We might have put a toe across it every now and then, but we never went too (laughs) far. And James and Sirius went too far. Yeah, that's, that's actually fair. I think they probably maybe learned from their predecessors or maybe because they had something like the map they were less reckless and they could plan more. Maybe it has to do with how they were raised as well. Mm. They were born to be jokesters and pranksters, but they knew they didn't want to mess with their parents. We know what Molly does with those howlers. (laughs) (laughs) That's not something to be messed with. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, I like this. I like that that leans into sort of the daring side of things. It's like, well, we'll we'll cause a ruckus. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that fits with me. For Toe that line, go just far enough where you can get away with it. Maybe yeah. we've all been there at some point. <laughs> I can't think of any examples. Don't ask me for any right now. But I feel like some- is very lawful. Yeah. Sometimes, right, right. Sometimes I just I get to the edge. I get to the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like push the limits like, a little bit. Yeah, it seems like in in contrast, the Slytherins, if they're gonna be mischievous, they're gonna work within the system to do it. Right. So we've seen this. Uh, a bunch of times in the books, actually, I'm thinking of the inquisitorial squad, you know, or uh, Malfoy abusing being prefect to give to take house points away. Um, this is an example. It's not rule breaking. It's mischief and ruckus, but it's because the system works for him and works for what he wants to do. He's going to get himself a position of power to give in to his negative whims, whereas Fred and George are exercising that firmly from without the system. They're breaking the rules. Mm. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's, I think more of a, like instead of breaking the rules, I think the Gryffindor trait is more so like bending the rules to your favor. You're still following the guideline of them, but you find that loophole like with the DA or um, Hermione bending the rules as well to like knitting the hats and stuff and hiding them around to like secretly free elves that she knows <laughs> she probably shouldn't do, but she still does. Or getting yeah. a time turner. I mean, that's pretty rule breaking as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like guerrilla efforts to circumvent the natural yeah. kind of flow of things. I also think we have the benefit of being at school with Fred and George for five years. So we get to see a little bit more of their personalities versus James and Sirius. We just hear stories and most of them aren't that great. Um, The one good one I think about too, but I guess it's kind of edgy is, is the 
uh, story J.K. Rowling wrote about the two of them and the police officers and the motorbike that they stole. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they seem like they get up to more adult type of trouble than the Weasley twins do also. Yeah, because all of the memories we see of like James and Sirius are through Snape's eyes, both mm. in book four and in book seven. So, well, I think the pensive is like a non biased third party, right? Like by why it's made. But I also think, thinking of like Fred and George not crossing the line, they did experiment on children. <laughs> like they gave their products to, now it wasn't anything they didn't try on themselves first, maybe. But I'm thinking of like the Dudley scene and we know from our Fred and George character discussion that Fred would like kind of push the envelope maybe a little too far and George would try and rein him in. But um, yeah, there was definitely a kind of a reckless aspect to the Weasley twins, though. I wouldn't want to say that they were too safe in comparison. Yeah, I guess we're talking about the difference here between being reckless and being malicious. Mm. Good line to draw. Yep. Yeah. And Sirius's own dislike for his own family uh, made him co- cool to the idea of Slytherins. Um, and James is just comes from what seven lines, seven generations of Gryffindor. So he's kind of bound to just like Slytherins as well. Micah, I think you had a point you wanted to bring up. Yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit already, but just kind of going back to the the courage aspect of Gryffindors. I was thinking earlier just how interesting it is that. If you look at the plot of all seven books involving the trio specifically, they all really exemplify the courage needed um, to achieve a certain goal, right? And and so I just pulled examples. I'm sure there's a lot of different, like smaller examples from each of the books of courage. But if you think about in Sorcerer's Stone defeating the tasks and ultimately defeating Quirrell. Chamber of Secrets, the Chamber of Secrets itself, the Basilisk, Prisoner of Azkaban, confronting Sirius, but also freeing him. Uh, Goblet of Fire, you have the Triwizard Tournament in the Graveyard, Order of the Phoenix, the Battle at the Ministry, Half-Blood Prince, you have the Cave, and then in Deathly Hallows, you have the Horcruxes and and the final battle. And I think it was probably intentionally done that way uh, by by the author uh, in, in, in the fact that you do have three Gryffindors as the main characters, but just the level of courage that would be required to do all of those things in all of those books. They're kind of just central to the plot. And these are all epic moments in the books. Yeah. And I'm sure in a lot of literature, you can point to great moments of courage that really make the book. So maybe that's one aspect of it too. It's like you need some courage in your lead character to to make a good story. Yeah, and overcome great odds. I was going to yeah. say, if you're telling the story of the hero's journey, you're, it makes sense that your hero would be from the house of heroes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good thing Sorting Hat didn't put him in Slytherin. Damn. <laughs> it's a pretty good thing. And Eric, Gryffindors don't always agree with each other, right? Yeah, I thought it would be interesting to delve a little deeper into the Seamus and Harry conflict. Um, you know, Pat, you had a good summary and explanation of it uh, at the start. But I wanted to actually read the specific where they butt heads, because not only is Gryffindor the house we know the most about and see the most of firsthand in the books, but we can actually there's so much of it that there's such nuance here. <laughs> so and there's actually like this is crazy because you could you could see where Seamus is coming from as a reader when the whole thing goes down. So, Andrew, would you like to read yeah. the first bit here? 
Yeah, Seamus did not answer immediately. He was making rather a meal of ensuring that his poster of the Kenmare Kestrels Quidditch team was quite straight. Then he said, with his back still turned to Harry, Me mom didn't want me to come back. What? said Harry, pausing in the act of pulling off his robes. She didn't want me to come back to Hogwarts. Seamus turned away from his poster and pulled his own pajamas out of his trunk, still not looking at Harry. But why? said Harry, astonished. He knew that Seamus's mother was a witch and could not understand. Therefore, why should she have come over so Dursley-ish? Seamus did not answer until he had finished buttoning his pajamas. Well, he said in a measured voice, I suppose because of you. What do you mean? said Harry quickly. His heart was beating rather fast. He felt vaguely as though something was closing in on him. Well, said Seamus again, still avoiding Harry's eyes. She, er, well, it's not just you, it's Dumbledore too. She believes the Daily Prophet, said Harry. She thinks I'm a liar and Dumbledore is an old fool? Seamus looked up at him. Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, (laughs) Seamus is in a pickle. I don't think any of us envy him the situation where he may not be being allowed to continue his year of education. But what's at issue is not necessarily the facts. It's how they're stated. Seamus at first says, it's you. You're the reason why I haven't come back. And that's just false. And he immediately tries to backtrack and say, oh, actually, it's it's also Dumbledore. But by this point, Harry is so he could not handle just the idea that somebody's coming for him, that he just reacts so poorly and he completely shuts down. He's he's in defense mode. Yeah. Um, Something was closing in on him. Like the line says. And I don't blame him. You cannot blame him for this. Yeah. You weren't going to come back to school because of me? Suddenly, you know, people see him as a threat. That's a terrible feeling. It's a a really bad feeling. Micah, would you like to read the other part of this quote? He got into bed and made to pull the hangings closed around him. But before he could do so, Seamus said, Look, what did happen that night when, you know when, with Cedric Diggory and all? Seamus sounded nervous and eager at the same time. Dean, who had been bending over his trunk, trying to retrieve a slipper, went oddly still, and Harry knew he was listening hard. "'What are you asking me for?' Harry retorted. "'Just read the Daily Prophet like your mother, why don't you? That'll tell you all you need to know.' "'Don't you have a go at my mother?' snapped Seamus. "'I'll have a go at anyone who calls me a liar,' said Harry." Don't talk to me like that. I'll talk to you how I want, said Harry, his temper rising so fast, he snatched his wand back from his bedside table. If you've got a problem sharing a dormitory with me, go and ask McGonagall if you can be moved. Stop your mummy worrying. Leave my mother out of this, Potter. What's going on? Ron had appeared in the doorway. His wide eyes traveled from Harry, who was kneeling on his bed with his wand pointing at Seamus, to Seamus, who was standing there with his fist raised. He's having a go at my mother, Seamus yelled. What? said Ron. Harry wouldn't do that. We met your mother. We liked her. That's before she started believing every word that stinking daily prophet writes about me, said Harry at the top of his voice. Oh, said Ron, comprehension dawning across his freckled face. Oh, right. (laughs) So much here, right? I mean, tempers are high and Harry's got his wand out. What's... 
what's he gonna decent he's provoked to a fight because Seamus is yeah (laughs) and Seamus has got his fists raised like this is just absolutely nuts and even when Ron has to come in and defend Harry he's like wait Harry wouldn't I don't care I know I just missed the conversation but there's no way Harry's like making fun of your mom that doesn't make any sense immediately leaps into like defensive friendship mode defensive Harry it's just crazy this is Gryffindor maybe the negative side of Gryffindor but this is Gryffindor yeah courage on courage Gryffindor on Gryffindor tempers tempers are going to rise up i think they're going to really butt heads when they both think they can win an argument in the moment they haven't seen each other all summer and all of a sudden it's fists up and wands out and they're both griffin they're both in the same house yeah it's it's very much though um a loyalty being questioned type of moment right truthfulness being questioned they're calling his character into question so it's like a knight pulling out a sword and defending himself. And that's what Harry's doing in that moment. Could it also been, be like a masculinity thing? Like is like Harry's or, or honor is because like Harry's honor is being questioned, right? Yeah, like whether or not think he's truthful. Yeah. I don't, I mean, maybe just in terms of like testosterone, but I don't think it's like his masculinity is being called into question here. Mm. I think it's more like a believability factor, truthfulness. They both have reason to be angry. For Seamus, Harry's involving his mom. For Harry, he's being attacked and being told he can't be believed, and neither can Dumbledore. So I can see where both sides are coming from and why they both have reason to be angry. I think that they're both defending their honor in a way. You know, Harry is in this state where he's not prepared to be questioned about what he experienced. And Seamus is one of the many students last year who had to just take Dumbledore's word for it. Seamus wasn't in the maze. He didn't get to see what happened. All he got to see was Harry come back to school with Cedric Diggory's body. And he had to take Dumbledore's word for it. And then he spent all summer hearing about his mother reading the Daily Prophet. So it makes sense that he would be skeptical. Now, I would argue that both of them, they're not handling conflict in the best possible way here. Let's talk about it, boys. (laughs) (laughs) But they're teenagers. So it's, you know, it's not uncommon. I I wasn't good at handling conflict when I was 15. I remember the summer Harry's had up until this point. The last thing he I was wants, just going to say that too. Yeah, the last thing he wants at this moment is one of his closest housemates to call his believability into question in the darn dorm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he spent all summer in the dark. He spent all summer just really mad at Ron and Hermione because they weren't allowed to write to that's him. Right. He fought with them as soon as he got like got to them. Then he had to go to court. And then jump right into school where he's being attacked for his sanity, basically, because they everybody thinks he's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I would have flown off probably just like Harry at that moment, too. True. He's been traumatized and people are expecting him to relive that for them when he's like, I'm actively still living the trauma. Leave me alone. Yeah. Even months later, when they start the DA, they ask, oh, what happened? And he's still like, "Mm, not going to talk about it. Yeah. Hogwarts really needs grief counselors. We screamed again, somebody please get these people grief counselors. My gosh. (laughs) 
Get them therapy. Get them our sponsor. Better help. Andrew, you have a really good topic here to talk about, which may be causing the Gryffindors some extra grief throughout the books. <laughs> yes. And part of this is inspired by last week's Ravenclaw discussion. We spoke about the Ravendor common room. The entrance is guarded by a trivia question. For the Gryffindor common room, it's guarded by a simple password. And again, we've got a big security nightmare on our hands. Anybody can grab the password, find it out, overhear it, walk up to the fat lady, say the password, and she lets you on in, presumably. Why does it have to be so simple? This is a major security issue, Pat. Aren't you concerned when you sleep in the dormitory at night that somebody's going to break in? It's happened before. (laughs) I would say, like, for me, no, because if I don't want somebody in there, I'm not going to tell them. And somebody would have to be trustworthy enough to really, like, give the password to somebody else, I think. I think at the same time, though, like, a part of me is like, okay, well... The fat lady has some sort of like sentient being to her. She should know who all the Gryffindors are and who all the professors are. It should just be that simple. For all Right. So she shouldn't allow anybody else in. Yes. But she did allow Sirius in unless she's unless there's something with the portraits where she's like, oh, you were a Gryffindor once. Well, wasn't it Sir Cadogan Cadigan that let Sirius in because he had the whole list of Neville's passwords? Oh, that's right. Because Sirius slashed the fat lady up. So- because she wouldn't let him in, but he also didn't have the passwords then. But yeah, like Sir Cadigan as a knight who is tasked with defending the castle, defending Gryffindor Tower. Like I get it. It's a plot point about Neville, but he shouldn't have let just some random former Gryffindor, but some random older guy in, especially after hours. My question more so with the password system, because we're never explained it. Like, how do they know when it's changed? Yeah. And Nobody ever ch- says anything. Yeah. Like there's never a notice. Maybe there's Maybe something there's on, the, a notice. on the notice board. Yeah. Yeah. But the fat lady, like she's always, she's pretty petty. Like the way that she gossips oh, with yeah. other portraits and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love to just like if Harry, when he was pissed at Ron or vice versa, if they would have been like, you know what? I'm mad. Hey, you want to change the password and not tell him? Yeah. <laughs> I think that would have been oh. hilarious. <laughs> It also seems like the password updates are always spread by word of mouth. I feel like there's so many points in the book where somebody's like, oh, yeah, the new password is cockroach cluster as they like walk into the portrait. So they're like openly saying uh-huh. the password in the middle of the hallway. Anyone <laughs> can overhear. Isn't that how Percy tells them in the very first book when he's prefect? Yeah, I yeah. think so. And the passwords are never like. One foreign character, a capital lower kid. They're not even that secure of passwords. They're at least random. I would say the hierarchy of passwords has Dumbledore's password being the worst like to get into his office. Because if you know anything about Dumbledore, you just keep guessing sweets. But then Gryffindor is right beneath it because it is just word based. Slytherin, it is a password, I think, too, usually a racist one like Mudblood um, when they use it. But Slytherin at least has the benefit of. Being down in the dungeons, I think that all dungeons kind of look alike. I would have a little bit of difficulty trying to find and suss out what wall to say a racist word to. So that would be difficult. But Gryffindor Tower, I think it's probably pretty like jewel encrusted with like an easy path. Everyone knows where the entrance to Gryffindor is. So I would say Gryffindor does have like a really super weak whole system. I do think it's kind of like 
granted like a lazy system in a way as well. Um, one, I don't think Gryffindors really want to think too hard about what, when they want to just like go study or go to bed, whatever. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I mean, it worked throughout the entire prohibition for speakeasies. They had passwords to get in. So yeah. if it worked for them for Fair. how long? I'm looking at a list of known passwords used to enter the Gryffindor common room. We should have made a game out of this, but we didn't think of it. So instead, I'll just read some of them off. Banana fritters. <laughs> Fairy lights, abstinence. <laughs> That's the best one. Uh, yeah, like what's up with that one? What's the context there? It's got to be a half-blood um, isn't it prince. when everyone's snogging. That was yeah, half-blood yeah. prince. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, Mimbleus, Mimbletonia, the only one that Neville could remember. Pig snouts, scurvy cur, tapeworm, waddle bird, amongst others, some of which Waddlebird. I can't pronounce. Yeah. Flibber to gibbet. Flibber to gibbet. Flibber to gibbet. <laughs> Balderdash. Random indeed. I just think I like the idea that was brought up a few minutes ago. Every portrait should just be in charge of knowing who belongs in the house and who doesn't. Who's in that house yep. and who isn't. It, that yep. simple. Hogwarts is quirky. I get it. So that's why they each have these different systems. But man, it could be so much simpler. Sometimes things are just too complicated at Hogwarts. Complication nightmare. Am I right? You're right. Or a key. Sure. Oh, yeah. Like it can't be duplicated by anybody other than Professor McGonagall type key. There you go. Give them a key or like in the case of Gryffindor's house, make them display an act of courage in some form. I don't know. <laughs> Every I did just time. think like because Every you need time. to be cur- courageous, like stealing it from book six, like when the the blood on the wall of the cave, like if they had to like prick their thumb and touch a spot on the wall every time or something. <laughs> they all have to lick the same brick on the wall because it's brave oh. that they won't catch something or some kind of <laughs> True. you know yeah. germ feature yeah. type to it. COVID nightmare. To wrap this up. We have some notable Gryffindors to run through. We tend to know a lot about these Gryffindors already. So because uh, <laughs> Gryffindors are the heroes and the main characters in Harry Potter. But worth just noting, Godric Gryffindor himself, of course, one of the four founders. He was apparently, according to WizardingWorld.com, a truly exceptional wizard. He was also the most accomplished dueler. And uh, we know that he left behind not only his sword, but the hat that he had itself as, uh, you know, heirlooms that would become very important to Harry and many generations of Hogwarts students. I gotta say, it always seemed like a hat that would have the ability to look inside your head and sort always seemed more like a Ravenclaw trait to me. I'm surprised Mm. that the sorting hat wasn't Ravenclaw's originally. Well, didn't he, wasn't he just wearing the hat though and he plucked it off and they all made it speak and everything? Oh, that's a good point. Yes. Plus, if it had been Ravenclaw, it would have been the sorting tiara. (laughs) Oh, that would have been way better. I'm a fan of that. (laughs) (laughs) The little jewel in the middle has a mouth that talks. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, you're sorted into house Geneva. You can go now. Of course, we also have Albus Dumbledore we talked about. Now, Dumbledore is very brave. But he kind of gets into murky territory when he's talking about the ambition of subjugating, like, you know, for the greater good, all the stuff with Grindelwald. 
thinking that wizards should be superior and could somehow take by force. I know he's disillusioned of this, but he remains a figure who ultimately way manipulates people for the greater good. He still like lies and cheats and holds the truth from people who probably deserve to hear the truth because he ultimately believes that he is a righteous knight an avenging angel against what is impure in the world. Beautiful. Put that on his headstone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Dumbledore, are we surprised that he was a Gryffindor? Because he could have also been, I think, Slytherin. Oh, I think that point got brought up on our Slytherin episode. We were like, why was Dumbledore a Gryffindor again? <laughs> or Ravenclaw. To be in know? the same house as Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never associate, like, until this discussion... I've never associated Dumbledore with a house. Yeah. Like, ever, really. He's just always kind of been, like, a culmination of, like, all of them, I think. Like, he, I think of most characters, he is a little bit of every single one equally, in my mind, at least. So I never, I I don't know why I never associated or thought, oh, what house was Dumbledore in? It just never occurred to me. It could have been cool, like J.K. Rowling could have invented it where, because Albus is older than everybody else, like he's 150, she could have made it where there weren't any houses when he was at Hogwarts, right? And have the sorting hat be only something that came after his time. So he literally would have been in like all houses or omni houses, and then they switched to a different system. I'd love that. She could have gotten out of having to place him there. I just wish the sorting hat put him in all four houses or at least made him a hat, (laughs) you know, deemed him a hat stall. That would have been cool too. Yeah. Yeah. You can just do independent study, whatever you want, sir. (laughs) It's it's interesting too that you said uh, when you were kind of going off there, you mentioned Knight, and one of his middle names, Percival, is actually a Knight from Arthurian legend. So probably not by accident that J.K. Rowling uh, gave him that middle name. That's why the Sorting Hat put him there. He's like, oh, finally, something to go off of. Chivalry, Knight, Percival, got it. Um, Well, we also have Minerva McGonagall, and we all love McGonagall. But as head of Gryffindor House, what traits of a Gryffindor do we think that McGonagall exemplifies? I think becoming an Animagus, because... Can you imagine if that does go wrong? Like how hard it is to perfect that? Like that's a brave thing to even endure learning to be able to do. Yeah. And I want to also observe that Minerva actually was a hat stall and the hat was debating between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. Yeah. The way that she stands up to Umbridge comes out, uh, stands out to me. Definitely huge bravery there. Huge cojones. I'm going to say honor. Because she doesn't take BS off anyone, including her own students. Very true. So she'll be the first one to step up and let them know, hey, I think you messed up. And I think out of like besides Snape, she's probably the one that takes away house points from Gryffindor the most. That's a good one. So uh, also we have Hagrid in Gryffindor house. And he was only allowed to study for about three years. But when he did, he was a Gryffindor. Um, What do we think that says about Hagrid's character that he was a Gryffindor specifically? I really do think it fits. I mean, he, yes, he can be kind of like buffoonish once in a while, but he really always stands up for the people he cares about, no matter what. Even like in book, I mean, yes, he has his moments like in book four when he's outed basically, but he still stands up for everybody else around him. Once he gets over his like feelings. 
he's very loyal to Dumbledore and, you know, and he believes Dumbledore through and through. So there's the conviction as well. Um, Okay. We also have Neville. We talked about Neville being very honor bound and, and, and like a knight and defending his own house, even among friends. Yeah. He was also the other chosen one, right? Like that speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Voldemort, if you're going to, go up against, you know, two potential babies. They're both going to be in the house that's opposite the house that you were. Right. And yeah. red and green are opposites on the color wheel, right? So. Oh, yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Love that. I don't know. I'm colorblind. <laughs> are you red, green, colorblind? <laughs> yeah. And I would say, too, just, you know, we talked on other episodes about how Neville kind of has his glow up during Order of the Phoenix, everything that he does inside of the ministry, kind of facing down Bellatrix, and then ultimately even facing down Voldemort in Deathly Hallows, right? Like he's he's the like the the ringleader back at Hogwarts for Dumbledore's army when the trio aren't there. So I would say he 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 probably has the biggest arc of any character in Harry's year outside of maybe Harry himself. Mm-hmm. How many does he ask to the Yule Ball? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, got to give him to that. All of that mm-hmm. too. He's just yeah, very, br- and that takes a lot of guts too. When you're what fourteen? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's one of the hardest things you do at that age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then two others here, two other Gryffindors of note. We have Celestina Warbeck, who that actually shocks me, um, <laughs> but. Uh, it takes a lot, and not for any particular reason. I just, you know, she could be in any, you could tell me she were a Slytherin. You could tell me she were Hufflepuff and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Right. Um, But as, you know, as a Gryffindor, I would just say probably you need to be bold. You need to be brave to try and make it in the cutthroat industry of uh, entertainment, arts and entertainment. And you need to be persistent, sometimes bullheaded to get your record out there and have these record execs listen to your demo. You got to do it. And to not have stage fright, that takes a lot of courage to get up there and perform live in front of audiences at Universal Orlando every day. (laughs) Yep. And kind of as a a, a thought experiment here, do we think anything of Peter Pettigrew? What do we make of him being in Gryffindor? This is the one that I think least fits, not because he betrays his fellow friends, but because a lot of his character arc is marked by cowardice. And that is called out multiple times not just by his Marauder friends, but by Voldemort. What Voldemort cannot uh, get by with Pettigrew is his cowardice. Even when he acts to betray his friends, it's because he's specifically not being brave. So why is he a Gryffindor? I think this boils down to choice. Pettigrew probably had the qualities to make him a Gryffindor, but he chose not to live up to them. Mm. It's similar to what Eric, you, and Pat were both saying at the top of the episode. You both made the conscious choice about selecting the kinds of values that you wanted your house to represent in yourself. And at some point, Pettigrew made a choice, not the right one. Yeah. And I mean, he he very well could have been like Harry. Maybe the hat was debating between two and he chose. He asked to be in Gryffindor, maybe. The hat yeah. did. The hat was also thinking about putting him in Slytherin. If it is about sort of wanting to surround yourself with everyone who's stronger than you, I can see why Peter would would absolutely want to go to Gryffindor. Also, this from uh, the author, the sorting hat, which is infamously stubborn, still refuses to accept that its decision in the case of the latter, in the case of Peter Pettigrew, may have been erroneous, citing the manner in which Pettigrew died 
as dubious evidence. I don't really know because what any of those words mean. Good on his <laughs> promise, or, or I guess it's not. He, a did, promise. he didn't have a ch- he didn't have a choice on that. Like matter, Harry right? saved his, his hand, life. Kinda. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think he hesitated. Yeah. Well, I think a part of that was due to the fact that it was magic that Voldemort had used to create his hand, and so effectively he was going against his master's wish, and so yeah, yeah he had to yeah i mean i i know i i saw some feedback on i think it was the last episode when we we were talking about like certain characters that don't really fit with their houses um and pettigrew was used as, as an example but i said that you know maybe there is a bit of courage a bit of bravery that comes with portraying your friends i know it's seen as sort of this pure cowardly action but i i don't I don't know. I feel like there has to be something in him. Maybe it's the nerve or the daring that that allowed him to do what he did. Mm. Uh, maybe it's not real courage in the truest sense of the word, but it's, uh, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not willing to completely write him off as a as a Gryffindor. We d- we don't get a whole lot about him from the time with the Marauders, just because he's always kind of seen as that person on the side that nobody really pays a whole lot of attention to, but maybe we saw it too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think what it is is economy of, of storytelling. Like I think they could have made it where Peter Pettigrew was one of the Marauders. They could have made it where he was their like one of their core four, you know, all this other stuff, but he could have been from Slytherin. He could have been from Ravenclaw. He could have been from Hufflepuff. I just think all the other houses fit Peter better but because it because in the Harry Potter books, it houses don't really mingle with one another. No matter how much you try, they really just don't hang out. Um, I think for that reason alone, Peter had to be a Gryffindor like the rest of them. Right. I, I'm just saying that inevitably there are going to be bad seeds in in every house, right? Like you, you can't get away yeah. from that. Like if if we were to say before we had the information, oh by the way, Lockhart was a Ravenclaw what would our reaction be? No, he would have had to be in Slytherin because that's the house where all the evil wizards are, right? Right. But, I mean, we we pretty much talked through Lockhart being, using the cunningness and intellect of Ravenclaw House to his advantage. And I think maybe Pettigrew did a bit of that himself. It's a great point. Well, on that note, I want to revisit this question from last week. Is there anything else we need to address to... Maybe take uh, Gryffindor's heads out of the clouds, like Pat's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dumbledore, that's all you got to say. <laughs> A flawed man, indeed. I fully believe that after Slytherin's, Gryffindor's would be the next house to use dark magic and to successfully use an unforgivable curse, purely because of their conviction like when you see in book five when bellatrix is like oh you really have to feel it and harry does use Mm -hmm. it on her and it works the next time (laughs) so i just think that there is that next step that with the courage and the bravery like i do think that they would be the next ones to do it and you see that in snape's memories too where they use the spells that they invent or not invent, but they use the spells on other people to play pranks on them. And 
it usually just makes a fool of the other person. Not necessarily that meaning that that's dark magic, but I could 100% see a Gryffindor make their own form of a Horcrux that doesn't involve killing somebody. Like there, if there's some other way to do it, I think a Gryffindor would do it. Yeah, it's a, that's an amazing point about dark magic and unforgivable curses. They would do it just on a dare. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, I would say for Gryffindors, just, you know, try and think before you act. Try and consider the options. It doesn't need to come to fists all the time. And here's the thing. If you get into a wizard duel, there's going to be a loser of that duel. Duels do not end in ties. And for the sheer fact that you cannot have more than a 50% real chance of winning a duel... Don't duel everything. Don't make everything down to a duel. Just think. Just consider. Talk it out. De-escalate. And, you know, there are other ways to solve things. That's my issue. I get in trouble so many times at work because my mouth just goes off and I say exactly what comes to my head instead of thinking about it. And then my boss is like, okay, next time, sit back, write your passionate email, set it aside for an hour. And then come back to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a great strategy. See, this is where you, you need Ravenclaws to give you multiple options to your point, Pat and Eric, like having alternate mm-hmm. options. And I think, you know, we see the decisions made a lot of times by Gryffindor with them not taking recklessness into account, especially like the best example I can think of that is going to the ministry to try and rescue a serious black who's not there and a lot of the the driving factor there for for Harry of course he cares about Sirius but I don't think he fully appreciates and thinks through the situation it's actually another gryffindor in in Hermione who's trying to convince him hey why don't you consider the alternatives here and i think that if he had it would have been a much different outcome i think that if i were a gryffindor i would aspire to be a Neville Gryffindor, someone who is true to his values all the time and doesn't go, he doesn't blow with the prevailing wind, right? He sticks up for what he believes in, even when he knows he's wrong and finds himself singled out. I mean, think about in book three, when McGonagall demands to know who left their list of passwords laying around, he admits it. (laughs) Yeah. He admits it in front of all of his peers because he's honest and true. And I think that is uh, what I would aspire to be if I were a Gryffindor. The only thing I would, you know, I don't have anything to add other than to reiterate, I think there is a chip on Gryffindor's shoulders across fandom and in the books as well. And we've presented a little bit of evidence around that today. So that's my one critique. They can stop thinking they're the best house. (laughs) <laughs> and I do think we should just shout out um, the house ghost, Nearly Headless Nick, because we've done it for every other house that we've discussed. And he may be by far the coolest of any of the uh, yep. four. Nearly Headless. I, <laughs> I think he's great. I, I, he's a ghost who he's not sure. He's not sure. That's the thing. If if he were the most like cavalier ghost, there'd be issues. But I think he's like a soft Gryffindor himself. Well, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by writing or sending a voice message to mugglecast at gmail.com. And for the latter, just record a message using the voice memo app on your phone. 
You can also use the contact form on MuggleCast.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. Next week's episode is a Muggle Mail episode, so get your feedback in ASAP, and we'll catch up on some feedback next week. I think we're also going to touch on Sorcerer's Stone, the film, a little bit because the 20th anniversary of that movie is quickly approaching. Yes. Wild. I was in sixth grade. Me too. I was in eighth. All right. It's time for Quizage. Last week's question, Ravenclaw themed, was on which floor at Hogwarts can you find the staircase that leads directly to the door to Ravenclaw's common room? And this is in a scene from when they're trying to get to the diadem in book seven. The correct answer is the fifth floor. Luna leads Harry up to the fifth floor where they find the spiral staircase. Correct answers were submitted by S. Ram, the dark board. Pious Thickness is back. Countess Bucatini. Would Micah date a Hufflepuff? Question mark. Micah Choo Choo is godly. Fan fiction is cool. Hufflepuff Des 744. Must be a Weasley 922. Blue Snake 88. Andrew, you should be a pop star. Natasha, your fave local Hufflepuff. And I answered this question before listening to the episode as somebody submitted his surname. Micah, what do you think? Choo choo. <laughs> That's full steam line. ahead. You would date a Hufflepuff. Full steam ahead. Well done, Laura. Well done. <laughs> that was good. That was real good. That All right, Hufflepuff. You heard him. And here we go for a Gryffindor themed Quizzage question. The Sorting Hat tells us that Hufflepuff came from Valley Broad, Slytherin from Fen, and Ravenclaw from Glen. But from where? Did Godric hail? Hollow. Submit your answers to us on the MuggleCast website, also located at MuggleCast.com slash Quizich. Coming up on bonus MuggleCast this week, we're discussing the movies and TV shows HBO Max thinks each Hogwarts house should be watching on their platform. Did they make the right choices? We're going to look at it and tell you. This and many more bonus MuggleCast installments are available at Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. So much to check out on our Patreon and your support goes to running the show, growing the show and spending more time on the show. And it just makes us feel good that we receive your support. So thank you very much. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Pat, thanks for joining us today. You are a true Gryffindor as we learned today. Yes. And we'll see everybody for next week's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Pat. Bye. 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 Bye.